Are you ready to rumble? In this corner, two-time world champion. How'd that play on video? As it probably did in real life. I mean, completely unnecessary, totally forced, totally nothing to do with surfing or anything at all. I love that Chris Cote uh, got into it. Like, I love Chris Cote for this. Nothing is worse than somebody who's given a bum roll and then they play it like it's a bummer. Like, who's out there like, oh, you know, it's pretty cool. Hello, come on out. Like, hey, I'm bummed too, is lame. Like, the person who takes their jacked up job and says, you know, I'm going to give this my all. It's not what I would have chosen, but I'm here for it. He's clearly a company man and you have to admire that and respect it. I, I mean, but you do wonder, like, at a certain point, Pat O'Connell made a decision like, hey, they're using me for my credibility in this space. And if they don't allow me to do what I want to do, then it starts to jeopardize my credibility in the space. Devin Howard, you know, was uh, trying his best to do something with his hands tied and eventually said, I'm not going to be held accountable for the, the, the decisions that they're making and not allowing me to make. So you wonder what that point is for somebody within the company, <laughs> you know, when they're saying, hey, I got an idea. You watch the WWE, right? Well, they do these ring announcements or face-offs on stage the day before. We're going to do that. And you're going to be the guy who does it. At what point do you just say, no, no. this is a bad yeah. idea? <laughs> I mean, apparently not at that point for Chris Cote. I'll tell you the way it played live in person. Yes. Uh, it was like, I don't think, it's like somebody had that, it felt like somebody had that idea uh, four hours ago. And so they said, Hey, Chris, you got this, you know, just put on your, you know, whatever that, what's that guy's name? Michael Boucher. What's his the uh, famous Michael. There's Michael buffer and there's Bruce buffer, Michael buffer. That's what I was thinking. Uh, so Michael buffer, put on your Michael buffer voice. You got this thing, right? Chris is like company man. Okay. I got this. Uh, the surfers though, must've been told, Hey, you're going to go out on stage, but had no idea. Like, so you have Idolo like trying to run straight down the stairs, tripping over Kanoa. Kanoa coming out chewing gum, looking weird. Uh, you have Steph Gilmore hugging whoever on stage. Like none of it worked. Like the whole point of that boxing thing is to build tension down, stare at each other's, you know, two inches or two inches, like a centimeter and a half away from each other's noses to build that kind of tension, which works in physical boxing. It doesn't work in surfing. And it, played like it did not work. Like the audience was not getting into it. There would be kind of, whoever happened to be around that stage would kind of turn around and watch it. But nobody was like hooting or whistling for anybody. It was like for real dead air. Well, the, the fans are gonna hoot and whistle for the surfers regardless. And so uh, doing what they were doing was very forced. And you're right. What made it awkward was that the surfers weren't into it. They weren't even facing one another. They were facing no. out to the ocean, which, by the way, I think illustrates something that I say repeatedly on the show, which is the central tenet should always be man and woman versus nature. So them forcing them to have a standoff against one another is actually missing the central central tenet. But the surfers know what the central tenet is. Their eyes are on the ocean. Their no. number one focus is the ocean because that's really where they're competing. The secondary thing is this person next to them. So whoever forced this thing 
is actually missing what makes surfing so incredible and unique and actually better than boxing, better than the UFC, better than any of it. And instead, they're trying to copy these lesser things and manufacture artificial drama, which again, the surfers are illustrating on their face. They don't feel that drama against the other person. Well, and that's the thing too, I will say, I'm curious how it looked. How much of it did you watch yesterday? Every minute. Okay, great. And so we can have an informed conversation. I was there, for those who aren't aware, I was there at Lower Trestles, woke up at 5.30 in the morning to get myself there. Uh, was there before the first heat was in the water. So I really committed to this. I did it. Uh, yes. And so that thing was weird. The, there was a lot of weird things about it. But one of the things that really stood out to me or was really felt instantaneously was the real lack of stakes throughout. This was sudden death. This was loser goes home. There should have been a feeling, a palpable feeling of some kind of tension. It's really, really, I realized, unless you have waves uh, coming every couple 30 seconds, it doesn't work. Like the, the air gets let out of the room so quick, right? Like somebody, I mean, the first scene of the day was uh, Brissa Hennessy versus Steph Gilmore. I was standing, just so I'm going to be standing right behind the Hennessy family for the whole peak, right? Or right like in there, not. And so saw dad, saw mom. Like they kind of get bummed on the scores a little bit, uh, but there's just nothing, no sense. Like she made the a judgment error, but even that, like that was the most sort of tensiony moment of the whole day almost. And even that didn't have any tension, like tension. There was no tension anywhere on the beach that the whole day it was tension free, which was really weird. Well, it's because the venue doesn't have any tension. Like it should be at, Chopu it or Tehopu oh or pipeline you know like that you don't have to manufacture anything the tension is there in the lineup um so this would have been a phenomenal event as the final event of the season and then we go to Tahiti and the tension is built into the venue itself yeah I mean it was honestly everything felt really flat the whole day it was a weird day anyway right like the hurricane kind of high cloud bands came in and kind of made it a little bit gray and everything just felt gray. It felt the fans there seemed both not all of them, but so many, like there was a, you know, a little fat, there's a bunch of swag, right? Everybody really went out, all the companies, Volcom, Hurley, uh, Billabong, uh, who does Ethan Ewing, does he write for Billabong? Yeah. Yeah. So that, all Quicks- the companies. Quicksilver. Really- Quicksilver yeah, for Kanoa. Yep. All, everybody really went out and did like a swag per run, right? Where, and so you had the, whoever, TM guys handing free swag out all day, right? Like for your Ghost or Weeback Jack hat or Kanoa hat or your, you know, Brista Hennessy gear, whatever it was, uh, a ton of gear, right? And so inevitably when there's swag being handed out, you know, you have like a fat kid. I was standing by the Volcom guys who just opened a fresh box of Weeback Jack gear right before Jack's heat. Some fat kid in board shorts comes up, you know, can I have a hat? They give him one, turns around, asks his dad, who's Jack? Dad says, I don't know. Like where there was, there was a feeling of that, of like, it felt like people had heard that, oh, there's an event at Lowers, right? If, so if you live in San Clemente, go on down. 
they thought, oh, which to me is bizarre. It is such a pain, especially when there is an event down there. It's such a pain to find parking anywhere. It's such a hassle to get there. Granted, they do have a shuttle bus running from the Carl's Jr. parking lot or whatever, but you know, that's a hassle too. It's, it's a giant hassle. I can't imagine going through that amount of hassle for something that you just heard something was happening. Cause that's the way it felt like a bunch of people there where they heard something was happening. And so they went through massive hassle to go get there, which I suppose people are bored sometimes. And there's a third no is really yeah. weird. I understand why they do it for the U S open because it's sure. more accessible and all that it's sort easy. of stuff. But yeah. And to, to find yourself there. on the beach at lowers and not know who Jack Robinson in is, is totally bizarre. Why are you there? And, and the, there's nothing else, like at the U S open, you go for the show, right? Like surfing is part of the show, but there's also live music. There's skateboarding, there's BMX, there's booths selling stuff. There's all kinds of stuff, right? The only booth there selling stuff was the WSL merch tent. Uh, I think they had an acai bowl stand at the front end. And that's honestly it. So you were there solely to watch surfing. There's nothing else to do but watch the surfing. And so, yeah, the, the lack of lack of tension, kind of lack of knowledge that I observed. And then also ton of Brazilians, of course, right? Ton of Brazilians. The Brazilians seemed almost like they were suffering an embarrassment of riches where they didn't really, you know, usually it's a Brazilian kind of either against the field or a Brazilian that everybody backed, right? It seemed like they backed Elo, Philippe. Uh, I mean, it was only those two, right? But also Jack. Like I saw Brazilians with their, Brazilians with acai bowls in hand, uh, Brazilian flag wrapped around shoulders in We Back Jack hats. Where like, and of course he has a Brazilian, you know, sub story too, I suppose, right. through his fiance. But the lack of them, the Brazilian because they're the only ones who kind of had energy the lack of them coalescing around anybody made it for even less energy like you know they were hollering for both Ilo and Philippe kind of but it wasn't like ooh, you know yeah. Brazilians going crazy for this well, thing that's a good problem for them to have I suppose it's um, great but it but it but it was another element that lessened the feeling of any kind of passable idea of good energy on the on the cobbled stone um were you there throughout the entire day? You stayed till the end? Nope, sure didn't. I peeled out uh, after, who went after Ethan Ewing and I guess Steph and... Maybe who, Steph and Tati or Steph and Joanne? Mm, yeah, after Steph and Joanne. I was, yeah. Um, what was, did you get recognized at all? And were you, your presence appreciated on the site? Or were you, uh, did you get any glares from anybody? Got a glare from, I think, from Mike Parsons. I thought I was, you know, when you like zone out, I was like zoning out and staring into the sun, but walking and just zoning and zoning. And then I realized that, oh no, I'm staring right into Snip's face. And I think, I hope he didn't think I was like mad dogging him because I was just like slack jawed staring. And are, you guys, are you guys friends or have you had any interaction previously? No, but I had heard okay. before that he was unappreciative of the way that I work. He doesn't like it. So I've that, got, I've I, got I, I, a criticism that you can level back at him. You can oh, take good. this as your own. Uh, I'll pose it as a question. You can answer yeah. it. Is he the most overrated, under-delivered coach of all time? Well, he's, he came in with all the 
credentials and credibility in the world. He's had Kaloe forever. He used to have Kanoa. He's had Lakey forever. None of his athletes have ever gotten a world title. Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Micro Hall shows up with zero accolade and out of the gates, he's got world champs happening. He's got Connor Coffin going from last to, you know, the top five. He's got Maddie Wilco going from last to the top to number one for a number of events in a row. So is Mike Parsons the biggest oh, right. under the bit or the biggest underperforming coach for that sure. we've ever had? For sure. He better, he better feel a champion pretty soon. Or I don't know why, if you were a surfer, you know, why you would care. Like you'd think that you'd want somebody with pedigree, especially a micro funny micro story from yesterday. Uh, I was standing there in another knot of people watching. That's another swag box came out. A bunch of kids started jumping up and down for it. Uh, Glenn micro hall was somehow in with the kids and looked exactly <laughs> like them. <laughs> He's probably just as amped to get some free gear. <laughs> he was not looking for the free gear. He was just standing there. The kids were jumping around him, but he was honestly their size. I mean, they were probably like, 12 but very um, really made me chuckle but uh yeah speaking of connor but yeah parsons underperform get a champion already yeah and it um, seems like it seems like parsons took notable talent and sunk it whereas you could micro, argue that <laughs> my, micro took like wilco took nobody who thought was going anywhere and really made it shine for a while completely and still is by the way um Con so I got the friendliest hello from Connor Coffin. I was walking, got the real warm, hey, Chaz, which any time, of course, the surfer approaches me, I think, what was the last bad thing I wrote? Uh, and, you know, how oh, this is just so frustrating. And then I see a guy like Connor and think, why do I write bad? Connor is so sweet. I don't think I've ever written anything bad about Connor, but Connor is as genuinely as nice a person as you could possibly be. He's a great human being for sure. He like legitimately down to the soles of his vans or whatever he's sponsored by is a, his reefs is a good, good, good person. Yeah, he really is. Um, we will talk about surfing. I need to introduce the show. This is the grit for September 9th, 2022. We've got Chaz Smith over here. We've got myself, David scales here, uh, covering the WSL finals. Of course. Um, one thing I will, I mean, I hate to be negative. I actually wasn't planning to be critical in this show. I have a lot of positive notes. So it's um, very much on brand that we would open up with a bunch of criticism. <laughs> um, my thought though, because the reality is like the day, watching surfing all day yesterday was enjoyable for me. Like um, I like good surfing, the waves are rippable. You can we can criticize the forecast or the conditions that they chose to run in because tomorrow's probably going to be like the day of days. But they had contestable surf. You can't really walk away from contestable surf. So they ran the event rightly or wrongly, and I enjoyed watching those heats. Now that being said, and we will analyze each individual heat as well. That being said, um, I have a feeling, an an overall feeling, um, that what it's become is so much different than what it could potentially be. And so we're grateful to be able to watch competition, but it's become entertainment and it's become this kind of sideshow that is very, very different than the act of surfing itself. It's very different than what we could be viewing. And so kind of 
uh, Eric Logan has turned San Clemente into a circus. He's actually proud of it because he did that interview with Scott Bass this past week. And, um, you know, he was bragging about how San Clemente is so thrilled to have the finals there and the entire town rallies around it. They have planes flying by on the beach with banners advertising the thing. He's talking about a dinner that they do the night before for all the world champs, plus the top five on either side. And they're publishing that on Instagram, showcasing the dinner. And I'm looking at it going, this just looks, it's cool to have a, I mean, they had literally what looked like a shaman dressed in like traditional garb, walking around and putting a necklace around the competitor's necks with a little leather pouch on it that presumably has crystals in it or rocks of some sort. Was it like Native American, like San Clemente's Native American tribes? Presumably it would be, but it was a white woman. It was like a 60-year-old white woman that looked like she could have been your or my mom. You why know are they I mean? doing this? I have no idea. So, well, the reason why I think they're doing it is because when they go to, you know, uh, Rot Nest, they honor the indigenous people and have an expert come on to educate everybody about the land and the cultural, you know, the context of the culture of the land. But you can't force that equation onto San Clemente. And I do know that there's native tribes. And I do know that the white, the millionaire white people that live there right now didn't always live there, but it's still forced. You know, when you have this quote shaman, like, so I mean, all, so of the, all, all of the pomp and circumstance my point is all of the pomp and circumstance surrounding the surfing that's happening in the water is entirely unnecessary. And even if you are going to have a dinner where you honor the world champs, why are you Instagramming about it? Like those dinners, those dinners always happened back when, uh, I mean, from the very beginning, from back when whoever was running the tour 20 and 30 years ago, when everybody came to town, I'm sure they went out to dinner the night before. They just didn't talk about it publicly or showcase it publicly or pat themselves on the back publicly. You know what I mean? So it's the pomp and circumstance that makes me feel bad almost for watching the event, even though I want to watch the event. I, uh, so there in person, uh, somebody came up to me and said they had a, which I wasn't even aware of, that they had a press conference, right? You'd think that as on the pier. Trip, there's very few but they said honestly it was so embarrassing like two questions were asked i think is what the person said to me and they're like at least they should have filled out the coffers with like you guys and whoever right like they should have at least made it look legit where i mean how odd odd to like you know i don't know maybe stab sent somebody or maybe surf i did uh but strange to me there ain't that much surf media anymore and right. Like you'd think that all surf media would have been that you would have been invited, that anybody right. in surf media, the 30 maximum who are left would have been invited. Weird. Well, I, my concern with everything that I said, um, and even what you're saying is it's just short sighted. It's like, this isn't, this is pretending to be what all these other sporting organizations are, are rather than uh showcasing and amplifying what is compelling about our sport which of course is surfing big barreling waves essentially the another thing so i was watching <clears throat> it's funny when i will get sent basically meme clips uh not mean meme m-e-m-e -E, clips of elo being goofball from like i'm not I, 
definitely not say who, but from people who earn livings from the WSL, right? And so they're joke, they're laughing at him too, uh, right. or laugh, maybe laughing with him. Uh, a couple things on this, but he, at some point, I guess I, I wasn't there for it, but the said like, great uh, for Stephanie Gilmore. She's great. And we're going to spell great with an eight now. And it was just crickets in the audience. And then he reset. We, oh, I guess you didn't hear me. That's why nobody applauded or laughed. We will spell great, Stephanie, with an eight. Crickets again. Weird. Wow. That's insane. So so I saw box, I saw box to box films commented on his Instagram and said they spelled great that way. And I read that comment and I was like, that do, why are they forcing that eight into there? That makes no sense. Not catching the connection to our number of world titles. So that's yeah. what they were talking about. But that's so cringy, dude. Funny thing. Oh man, I don't know what I. Yeah, I'm gonna leave that one off. But I have an, I have good stories. Uh, okay. But should I just tell them? Should I tell my good yeah. stories? Yeah, I mean, we can edit it out if you change. No, I talked to somebody, a person. Uh, who I won't say which industry or how they're related to the world surf league. Uh, but this person asked his people, Elo's got to be putting this all on, right? There's no way that he can be that fake uh, or that, he's, that it, this is all a show. This is all a song and dance, right? Like his public persona, goofball, the whole whatever, however you, snake oil salesman, however you want to describe it. And his people said, no, that's legitimately Eric Logan, 24-7. That's how he is. That's truly who he is as a person. He is buoyant, happy, uh, you know, believes everything that he's saying, which I don't, I don't know if it makes him more likable or less likable. I'll leave that for the listeners to decide. Um, it's certainly fake it till you make it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you just if you just keep reporting the positive side of what's happening, even though the business has been losing, you know, tens of millions of dollars since he's been involved, always did prior as well, but he certainly hasn't turned it around. Um, and you just keep reporting the good ver- portion of the facts, then maybe one day they can all become true. Or if enough belief if enough people believe you i mean i mean whatever i'm not gonna we don't have to do that deep of a dive on it but that's what it seems to me it seems like eric logan as uh we talked i think early on when he got hired about okay what's his next move right clearly this is not the end of anyone's career this is not anyone's dream right like you use this to try to do it like Sophie Goldschmidt, right? Used it and I don't know if she, however you sell it in your CEO resume afterwards, you know, now she's at another job that's, you know, whatever she's in charge of US ski and snowboard or whatever, like, you know, a definite step up from the WSL, right? You would think that the WSL would be a stopping off point, a distressed asset that a CEO can come and kind of say, hey, we did this good or this good or this good and then go get a better uh i've realized since eric logan being ceo of the world surf league is like jerry jones owning the dallas cowboys it's like 
hey, you could sell the Dallas Cowboys, but what do you want to do, Jerry Jones? All I would want to do is buy the Dallas Cowboys again, right? Where being World Surf League CEO, Eric Logan is at peak happiness. And I think he feels, I willed myself here. I fell in love with surfing. I got involved in the culture. Now I'm running the whole thing. And I wonder if he thinks I can also apply that kind of will to the WSL. We can say, we are going to be the biggest, most popular sport ever because I'm just going to will it to happen. Yeah, it works. Uh, it's worked for him until now. And it works for Adam Newman taking people's, you know, almost a billion dollars from WeWork. And it worked for Elizabeth Holmes. And it worked. there's somebody who's losing money, Dirk. You know, and and so Dirk is the one who's going, hey, I only lost 18 million this year instead of 20 million. But remember two years ago when you were telling me that we need to invest in WSL studios and that you were going to build all this content? Well, you did all of that, but then you shut it this year, six months. And all that you talk about is the things that grew in that time. You didn't acknowledge the fact that you closed and shuttered one of your pipe dreams, you know? So I mean, it's it's Dirk's money and it might be a write-off for him and all that sort of thing. So it's not for me to say. Uh, and if you, like I said, if you just keep pumping the positive stuff and enough people believe you, then by all means, Adam Newman's sitting way prettier than I am right now. And yep. so that's fine, you know? Um, well, let's one talk about wanted, the, yeah. The one thing I wanted to ask you before is watching it happen in real time, watching Steph in particular, I love the way Steph serves, right? Who yes. does? Uh, phenomenal surfer. But watching the number five take down number one, Chris Amore, who, of course, that's the kind of, again, it never felt tense, but that's the sort of tension they're trying to build. But what it felt like to me is uh, you can't look at Steph Gilmore's title the same way. We almost have to start again. Okay, this is the new format. So Steph Gilmore is, she's won one world title in the new era. It doesn't seem like you can measure no, you uh, can't. This, this finals day against what was in the past a full season. So let's talk about that because when they introduced finals day two years ago, um, we had this as a criticism, like what if somebody who didn't accumulate enough points to even be, you know, in the contention for a world title going into the final event, what if they find themselves in the final event and then win does because, that undermine, isn't an indictment of the format. And last year, it didn't play out that way. Last year, it played out where the number ones won. And so our argument almost got nullified or forgotten about. But this year, it's actually, the, the math is pretty compelling. And I'll share it with Liz. Because there's no Go way ahead. Steph could have won, right? Steph could have won Correct. the final event and Chris could have got dead last and Chris Correct. still would have won. So the regular season total points, Carissa, I'm sorry, Stephanie Gilmore had 46,370. Carissa had 57,670. So there's 10,000 points for winning an event. So yes, Carissa could have not shown, if this was a normal season, no finals day format, Carissa could have elected to not show up at the final event. Steph would have won the event and still not, not have surpassed Carissa's point total. So I think that this is an opportunity to rejigger the format again. And my, my suggestion to the WSL would be 
maybe finals finals day doesn't have to be mandated five people. What it should be mandated as whoever has a mathematical chance of winning a final gets into finals day. That might be seven people one year. You know, I remember three years ago or something going into the pipe as the final event, Jordy Smith was number seventh in the world and he had an outside chance if everybody else lost. So he would make it into this finals day format in that scenario, or there might only be two people that make it into the finals day format in that scenario. But it's absolutely absurd that Stephanie did not have a mathematical chance and then she becomes world champ. Well, I mean, it just, and it, again, to me, it feels like it's a different title. It doesn't seem like you can put it, it doesn't have to be any lesser a title, right? Like if this is the format that WSL prefers moving forward, great. But it's almost, to me, you should start counting titles again from last year. So from the first year they did this. So Chris Amore has one, Steph Gilmore has one on the women's side, on the men's side, we've got Medina and Pep. Well, if it sounds like we're being overly critical, Stephanie Gilmore herself said in her post-heat interview, after she won the title, she said, Carissa deserves the title this year. She's like, I was very critical of this format and now I'm benefiting from it. So it's hard for me to like not smile and be happy about it. But Carissa has earned it. She said, quote, Carissa is the greatest of all time. And she earned the title this year. So I think that says a lot. If your own world champ is questioning how, you know, like it says a lot. It says, I understand the WSL is trying new things and they're trying to, but they need to be thought through a little bit better. And I think, yeah, the math is just wacky. If the math doesn't work, it's really hard to objectively deem it a world champ. Um, Idolo, by the way, was in the same exact position. Idolo was also in fifth. He made it to the final. And there was a more than 10,000 point spread between him and Felipe. So it could have been the same scenario there. But I got a listener email that I thought was actually um, summed up what I felt and what it seemed that everybody else was saying or felt. He said, I found myself rooting for Steph coming all the way from behind. Her win, her eighth title, and how she humbly accepted it while acknowledging while acknowledging Carissa's year, felt right and earned. Steph is still a force, at least uh, in right-hand point breaks. But I found myself rooting for Felipe to stop Idolo. WTF, you would think that a similar scenario to Steph's would also feel good, especially since he's supposed to be the people's champ. But Idolo's run felt like it invalidated the finals format. Even with Felipe's lackluster surfing and waves of consequence, something about the way that Idolo carried himself today just made me want Felipe to win. And when he did, the win felt deserved. Hmm. Uh, being there, I mean, I was rooting for Idolo storyline. That's a, to me, that's a way better storyline. Uh, it's funny, you know, of course, just as a storyline, that's better. You get more more meat on that bone if the number five man came up also and took out the number one uh idolo i totally get that it rubs people the wrong way now right idolo you when he was in the stokehead his people's champ now he's his, his own champ yeah and and so i get the i get the uh i don't know di- distaste people have in their mouth like for me whatever you go be you you go skate in your own museum it's all fine and good like whatever but uh Again, this stinking dead horse just going to keep kicking it. But Pip winning uh, is fine and great. He totally won the year. 
right? Yes, he did. No, no problem with that. Uh, won the year was his title to lose, and he did not lose it, which easier said than done. The pressure he must have been feeling watching Idolo rage through those heats must have been caused him like, yeah, would have caused consternation, right? Especially if Idolo would have had, I mean, Pip really got lucky, really, that the left shut down. Because uh, if that left would have stayed open with the air wind on it and Idolo would have done more of those big hucks, it would have been, he would, Pip would have been done. But all to say, what I think, everybody, like WSL, Stab, everyone really planting their flag and I think WSL calls him undisputed champion. When have they ever, when has the World Surf League ever called the champion the undisputed champion, right? Like they have uh-huh. to throw that in there because they know that the asterisk is blinking brightly on the end. Uh, Stab did something equal where they put to like your totally and deserved champion, Philippe Toledo. Everybody says he played to the rules, uh, all fine and good. That so what? Who cares if you lose at Chopu uh, and he did good at pipe, Stab said. But who cares? You know, he did good at not a great pipe, A. B, it's not that he lost at Chopu. It's that he did not paddle at Chopu. Like, that's the, he, I don't think anybody, there's been no champion who has refused, it's not winning or losing. It's not playing the game. Kelly's whole thing about, he was all bummed on himself in the boat afterwards. And I was like, what, why, who cares? This doesn't matter. Go win at Trestles and, you know, take this thing home. All great and good, but not paddling is the thing that's damning not winning is fine like if he would have thrown See, himself over the ledge and got loud dead last great yeah i thought kelly's was at, kelly's comment was actually shading felipe a little bit um he did say what you said but him even bringing up the fact that felipe didn't go it in tahiti he didn't need to bring that up. No other commentators brought it up. No other commentators brought it up in Tahiti when Felipe was in that heat, not catching a wave. So Kelly took the internet's kind of uh, conversation and brought it into the booth while Felipe's in the water celebrating still. I mean, it was literally while after the buzzer, Felipe and they're all celebrating. Kelly's like, yeah, for anybody who says that Felipe doesn't deserve it because of his performance in Tahiti, here's yeah. what I said to him, you know? And it's like, whoa, I feel like that was shady. I, for sure. Kelly only ever, it's every compliment comes with a backhand, but uh, the, I don't know. I don't know why that isn't addressed. I'm not saying that Philippe has to be a champion at Chopo and Pipeline to be a deserved no, no, no. I'm saying he has to paddle. He has yeah. to, he has to paddle on one wave. And yeah. I don't know. Everybody's, it seems like they're ignoring that. It seems like it's the camp set up now of he doesn't deserve it because you know, he doesn't deserve it because he doesn't surf those waves well. Others saying he played the game properly. Of course he deserved it. Yeah. He had a massive points lead and he's a phenomenal surfer. The whole missing point, I think, is that he refuses to paddle. Who refuses to paddle? I can't. Yeah. Paddle. Well, it's again, he played within the format of the rules. And so he's allowed to have the title, but he doesn't have to be our world champ. You know what I mean? Like we can still have disdain for him because uh, we want Andy Irons. You know what I mean? So it's that's his own problem that he's going to have to live with um, or he could just ignore it. But back to your com- your question about uh, you would think that Idolo would have been quaking in his boot, or I'm sorry, Felipe quaking Wait. in his boots, seeing Idolo charging through the field. 
I think Felipe doesn't care who he's going to surf against in that final. He's got blinders on. He's focused on what he's going to do. That's how much confidence he has at lowers. Carissa Moore, on the other hand, I think was very cognizant of Stephanie's run and was quaking in her boots because she usually has a ton of confidence and doesn't make bad decisions and all that. And she was not surfing like Carissa Moore in that final, you know, well, or those also, two, also, those two heats actually. And, and she coughed, felt the momentum coming at her. I mean, what? she coughed up priority. Wasn't it that heat? Coughed yeah. up priority to Steph and basically gifted Steph that first heat win. And by the way, missed waves when yeah. the pressure was on, she's paddling into waves and not catching them. That's like unheard of. I mean, I yeah. do it all the time, but it's unheard of for Carissa. So I, I thought that was a really telling moment of like mental kind of toughness in both those scenarios where, gosh, Carissa got fully shaken by Stephanie, who, by the way, we haven't seen her look that tenacious in years. She came in swinging. Um, and then Felipe, on the other hand, doing exactly what he needed to do. Just being like, dude, I know I can blitz these rights. I've done it a million times. That's all I'm going to do. And good luck keeping up with me. You know? Yes. I mean, he surfs trestles so well, like watching him surf trestles is like, it really is a masterclass. I mean, for as much, I think, I think people uh, think I'm making fun when calling Philippe the world's greatest small wave surfer uh he truly is like he is a magician in small surf and it's it's beautiful to watch he's a poet like he's really 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 talented and well the other day, he was head and shoulders above Idolo. and the other thing that i love is um a short five years ago let's say a lot of people probably us included were criticizing some of the brazilians that were so good at airs you know, Gabriel Medina, it's like he comes out and he blitzes everybody and he wins. And we go, yeah, but he was doing airs the whole time. Like, where's the rail game? Felipe took that criticism and has gotten improved his rail game. Like his rail game's insane. It's top level, you know, and not just in small waves. Like when he won Margaret River, he does it at J Bay, you know, overhead, you know, uh, powerful surf. He's on rail, but they can still, of course, do the big full rotation airs as good as anybody. So I love that he's taken the criticism and just shut it all down, basically. Love for him now to take the last bit of criticism. He goes and he learns how to surf Chopu and or pipeline. He could be considered, if he wins a couple more, one of the you know greatest professional surfers of all time. Totally. And by the way, we need that, or I think he needs that. Uh, every surfer needs like um, to reinvent themselves. You know, John John won that first world title on sheer talent. Then Zeke paddled circles around him at literally at J Bay. And John realized he needed to then improve his competitive game. So he came back and now he has both. So we see that happening lots of times. And I think this is the opportunity for Felipe to really, he still has opportunity for growth. Um, let's do a quick rundown though of the other surfers in the event. Cause this podcast is about surfing still. Uh, Brissa, do you have thoughts on Brissa Hennessy? I mean, Brissa was dripping, I thought, and uh, again, came into a bummer format. She was the fourth surfer in the world, so it's not like, you know, still in. At, oh, I guess she got beat by five, so dropped down to the fifth best surfer in the world. No shame in that. Uh, but again, it just seemed like this form format isn't right. I thought she surfed well. 
made a mistake. Literally one mistake. Yeah. Literally one mistake. It was with two minutes left, Stephanie Gilmore, who had fallen on her first two uh, potentially good scoring waves. So Brissa did exactly what she needed to do. She had the champ up against the wall, and then she made a priority blunder with two minutes left, and Steph capitalized on it, got the score, and won the heat. And then actually that was like the momentum. That started, that kick started the momentum for Steph. But Brissa surfed phenomenal. And she, and really well-rounded, like she's got power. She's like drifting the tail through some of her turns. She's kind of going through the lip. So I think there's a lot more to come from her. She could tighten up some of the competitive stuff, but. I I think think she's a a future champ. For sure. Depending on who she comes up against, you know, Um, if, if Carissa gets out of the way, if Steph gets out of the way, then she could be for sure. Um, My thoughts on Tatiana Weston Webb, Tati will never win a title. Tati is a great surfer. She's not on par with the champs. And she kind of, I think she'll find herself in the top five consistently, but she's got a flaw in her surfing that she's never improved upon. And it's a, uh, like, a, it's a style related thing. And it's like a trend a real abrupt transition from rail to rail. You know, it's like she comes off the bottom, aims at the top. And then when she gets there and connects, it's powerful and impressive, but there's a lack of smoothness to the transition that is the opposite of what Stephanie Gilmore has. Tachi just looks super stiff and planted at all times. And as a result, she falls a lot and um, it's ratchety. You know, and she's always looked that way and she hasn't improved. I feel like other surfers, you see their market improvement over their career. She's kind of always had that. I don't know why she's not improving it. And I don't see her getting to the level of champ. I mean, the problem is, especially if it's continued to be held in trestles, I could see her if it was a barreling left uh, that they held finals day in, like say G land was actually okay. Uh, I could see her winning, but not at a wave like Trestles. And not over the course of the season. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, just in the finals day format yeah. at a wave like that, she could win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. see, this is, the, this is the silly thing about the finals day format is talking about it. Yeah, she could win, right? But is she a champion caliber surfer? No. She won't win I don't think so. over the season. And that's how I feel about Joanne DeFay, too. I mean, leading into the event, I was going to say, or I probably did say Joanne looks like an underdog. Like she looks, I think she's underrated. Like I've, I think she surfs good, but watching her in this event, I was maybe more hypercritical and she's going up against champs. So it's a little bit more of a stark contrast, but again, not at that level of those other champs. I will say though, by the time it got to Joanne being there, I was there for that one still. And by the time it got to that heat, the waves had deteriorated by such a margin that she there was none of those big clean walls anymore there was nothing for like Steph had already gotten in flow of the deteriorating conditions Joanne had didn't have that opportunity so you're out there it's almost the worst person to be third because if you're or second I suppose was she second yeah second second is the worst because if you're first at least you can have a bad heat and then you get another shot at it if you're that second position means you had a phenomenal year and Joanne DeFay just said it in her she just said it in her uh presser of uh, this doesn't feel fair this it uh, doesn't feel right that all the work I put in this season goes down the drain in one crappy 35 minute heat totally and it was a crappy heat um I feel like 
Kano Igarashi is the Joanne DeFay of the men's side of the tour. Um, he's a great surfer, but just not at the level of these other guys, you know? Once. And it's interesting. Like I saw, I was watching all the free surf clips leading into the event. And, you know, when you see somebody stand up and like the first moments of them up and riding, your brain is making assessments, these micro assessments. Before I even identified who the surfer was, I was like, oh, it's clearly not like one of the world title contenders. It's got to just be a local ripper or something. And then he goes into the bottom turn and I see, and I'm like, oh, that's Kanoa Igarashi, you know? But the fact that my brain, there's like an eyeball test or a brain test that just tells you kind of everything you need to know. And you watch Kanoa ride the whole wave and you go, wow, he comboed it up and he did do pretty sick turns. And that was a pretty sick end maneuver. But compared to Ethan Ewing and what Ethan gets to his feet and you just go, holy crap, what, what's going to happen right now? You know, there's this kind of disparity between the top two or three and four and five, basically. Wait, here's what I'm going to say to that, though. Funny little side note on Kanoa. Uh, he got yelled at by the beach announcer before the women's heat started because he guess, guess he was still in the lineup. And so they called him Kanoa Igarashi. I'm being told to tell you, get out of the lineup now. Kanoa Igarashi, I'm being told to tell you, paddle faster. Uh, yeah. which was funny. Anyhow, uh, Kanoa's, I, uh, he came out flat, but I'll say what really screwed him. Cause he had Idolo on the ropes until Idolo hucked that big air is right. the lefts opened up, right? The air, the wind was perfect. And the left opened up during that one heat, or maybe they stayed open for two, but imagine you're a, uh, regular foot surfer. The right at that point, high tidy, soft. Uh, all of a sudden, there's the left bowl is just ripping, and you're against an Idolo Goodfoot. It seems like he was, Cano was undone just as much by fate and chance as by his own, you know, real, I don't know, lackluster performance. I'd say if that left I, didn't open, Cano would have won. Even still, Cano had, did what he does, and he had two good rides, surfed to his fullest potential. It didn't fall, you know, and Idolo got a small wave, a small right. And he surfed it. And I'm like on a smaller wave, much less scoring potential. I can still see that Idolo's the superior surfer by a long margin. So yeah, now we have the conditions and all this stuff that is surfing that we're going to, he has to figure out a way to win against Kano, who's got better scores, but just watching him surf a wave, watching him ride a wave. You're like, this guy's clearly better. It's distinct. Uh, from, from your perch at home, did Idolo's hyperactivity in the water uh, great? Or was it like, wow, look at this guy go. He's got a lot of energy. Uh, no, it didn't great. I think it was, it's impressive. I mean, watching him like bash 17 turns, uh, for some reason got on my nerves. <laughs> like, I was impressed. I mean, it's it's impressive, sure. I, I would like when he got on in the inside and would do his flip tricks. Oh, crazy. Okay. Totally crazy. Here's the thing that they said live from the beach after his big spin. Remember, I can't remember who he did his big spin against. Uh, do you remember? Might have been Kanoa. Might have been. Might have been a Kanoa. Anyway, he does a big spin, right? And rides out switch, if I recall. Some, it was totally crazy, right? And of course, it's not you know, not going to get him a nine or whatever. Those aren't the tricks, you know, people want amplitude or the judges want amplitude, but the, the uh, beach announcer guys were saying, 
you know, whoa, look at that. I was sick. And, you know, of course, that's the kind of thing that gets everybody on the beach hyped up a bit, seeing something like that, something that they really had never seen before. Announcer said, you know, wow, look at that. And, you know, maybe in 10 years, uh, the judges will be able to score this, you know, but surfing really isn't the place that snowboarding and skateboarding are where progression and go on switch and stuff really matters. And I'm thinking that is a massive problem. If the judges, if this is because those moves are really difficult. Right. And of course I get it. It's like, I don't know if that was, if a big spin switch was going to beat a, uh, big barrel, then of course. Right. But throwing that in, that's a hard move that nobody's doing. How is that not worth two or three well, points? The other thing is Felipe, I'm sorry, Idolo already showed us speed, power, and flow. Yeah. You know, like he uh, already, he already surfed to the, yeah, he already surfed to the criteria. Then he does a techie trick and they just like write it off. It, it, gets, like, it, oh, gets, no, even, it gets no, no, no score. No score at all. We're not even going to acknowledge it. In 10 years we might, but we're not. It's insane. And especially, insane especially at a surf spot that's known as a skate park. Like lowers is the skate park. It's not like he did it at Chopu while he's kicking out the back of a wave, you know? It, it absolutely blew my mind and that that was uttered live to the audience of skateboarding and snowboarding are way further ahead than surfing. Surfing is like still mired in old timey. Maybe if he would, if Idolo would have walked the nose and hung five at the end. Right. I mean, it was such an embarrassing indictment on the state of, of high performance professional surfing where exactly what you said that is a high performance way if high performance is not being judged then what why have it there right well moving on and down the list uh thoughts on ethan ewing i mean ethan ewing is just i think it got kind of screwed by pro surfing in general where to be thrown to have the season he did and to have to end it at trestles is just like are you kidding me like it didn't seem it didn't seem worthy of the season he had. See, I feel like that's what I would say about Jack Robinson. Cause leading, watching the clips leading into the event, I thought Ethan could win the thing. I'm like, Holy cow, this guy surfs lowers in a way that, I mean, I've seen degrees of it maybe with Andy irons and certain people, but like he is, he could do three big carbs out there and get a 9.5, you know, he doesn't even have to do airs. And so I was kind of betting on Ethan to make the final and then even to believe to beat Felipe. But Jack Robinson, on the other hand, is a guy who's honed his skills for the greatest waves in the world. And then you watch him surf lowers and he looks slow. He looks lethargic. Yeah, you know? it, was not, it was not fun to watch. And that's, that's uh, I mean, it is a problem for Felipe, but it's a bigger problem for, I think, the WSL where they should be, gearing the whole tour for those types of surfers because that's something that only five people in the world can do and you should be that's progression for the sport is letting the five people who are the best at it in world-class waves if you if you and i go to Kandui, we will not make a wave we probably won't even make a drop same thing in tahiti same thing at pipe and guys like him and john john and gabriel are you know playing with it toying with it out there as opposed to how many people can do two big carbs and a big air reverse at lowers? Literally 1,000 people on the planet, maybe 2,000 people. So Jack being kind of forced into this scenario 
isn't great for the sport. And it's certainly not great for like the governing body of the sport to be setting their finals there. But he got beat by, I mean, him losing to Idolo isn't, I mean, that Idolo deserves it. And Idolo is an equally talented surfer. So it's not that big of a crime. Um, but I thought that Ethan Ewing, on the other hand, surfed really, really well. The waves weren't great. Idolo surfed better than him. But I think Ethan showed his potential and he will be back. And I feel like he will win a world title. Yeah. I mean, I think Ethan is here, here to stay. It doesn't seem like he's the, you know, what Morgan Siblick or whatever, right, where, right. Like somebody who kind of crested at the right time. And then of course broke, like, uh, it seems like he's got the potential, but again, having this dumb thing at trestles, like serves only fleet. Yeah. It does. And Philippe, by the way, just to pat him on the back one more time, um, he made five finals, five finals this year and two wins. So he did, he did his work throughout the year and he's, he is the champion. Like there is, there is no doubt that he is the champion. He's also the only champion in the history of professional surfing who who refuses to paddle in big scary lifts. Correct. Um, you want to go to commercial, then come back with a listener line call and some barrel or not? Let's do it. Hey, Chaz, uh, you know what's better than eating great inventive food is getting it delivered for free. How does, how does that happen? Where does that happen? It happens in two or three days on uh, September 12th. Through the 25th, Bubba Coos is offering free, completely free delivery with no minimum spend. So you would I think like, order. oh, free delivery, it's got to be fa- food for the whole family. 50 bucks worth of food, then they'll do it for free. No, you can order one taco. Uh, how close? What's the radius you need to be in? That's a great question. I don't know, but I do know that um, this is only available for purchases through the app. Um or their website. So not through basically third-party sites, but go to bubacoos.com slash surf, download the app. That'll let them know that you found them through us or go to their website, bubacoos.com, and then uh, place your order, get it delivered for free. You know what I would be ordering if and when I place this order? Crispy chicken, bacon, sriracha, ranch, quesadilla. Oh, are you kidding me? That makes me want to get in the car and drive up to La Mirada right now just to order one up. Uh, dude, okay, so quesadilla is one of the greatest things on the planet, right? Of course. Okay, crispy is Love good. It. Chicken. Love it. Probably the most consumed animal protein on the planet for a good reason. Bacon. Nothing wrong with bacon. Sriracha. Yum. And ranch. I mean, it really is perfect. See, that right there sums up what makes barbecue so good. You said it in the lead, the inventiveness. They take the foods you like, and they don't have any bones about just putting them all together. Fine. You want all these things in a quesadilla? Here you go. We're not going to, who's to say this is not proper. This is eating. It is the Idolo Ferreira of condiments. We love ranch. We love sriracha. If the tween shall meet, it becomes magic. It's perfect. Uh, so babacoos.com slash surf to get yourself the app or just go to their website, free delivery, September 12th through the 25th.
When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Chaz, we are back from break and I have a uh, listener line call that refers to something that we discussed last week, which is reality shows. David, Chaz, the Animal Chin here with a hot take. Drama-based reality television is not only a total barrel, it is the only thing I watch. Why? Because I work in tech. I work a mundane job. I don't get to surf as much as I'd like to. I'm in a healthy marriage with, like, not a lot of drama. I have two great kids. Um, sometimes I just want that hot, juicy goss. So, like, I go, I turn to The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I turn to Selling OC. I turn to Below Deck. Who else do I turn to? Bender Pump Rules. That drama is so much better supplanted on my television than it is in my real life. So, I'm full-blown barrel, dude. That's all you need to know is that the drama is there when you need it, and it's not when you don't. So I would say, like, turn off whatever you're watching, just flip to Bravo, and just let it play, because it will make your life better. So it's a hot take from uh, San Clemente. Also, uh, Selling OC, they called the San Clemente uh, the boonies of OC. Uh, fuck whoever said that. That dude's Newport trash. So later. It's it's an interesting thing. Like our obsession with other people's drama is an interesting thing, but also how it makes us feel better about ourselves somehow. Like there's a catharsis when you watch stuff like that. Yep. Love it. I mean, I'm good job, Animal Chin. And thank you for all the relationships you are going to say. Instead of getting into fights and cheating, men and women now are just going to turn on reality-based drama TV and just let it all out that way. But there was a time where we referred to these things as a guilty pleasure, which means you felt guilt. And so you wouldn't tell anybody about it. It's weird when you brag about it. Yeah. You brag I, about liking, liking this flipped. TV. It's healthy. 
It is a healthy right. pastime. It's like eating spinach. Um, there's also another thing that that reminded me of, or he reminded me of, is like when everything is right in your world. He's got a great family. He's got great kids. Got a great wife. He loves his wife. He actually probably even likes his job. He said he's a little bit bored by it. He needs drama elsewhere. But when everything's great, we need to dirty it up a little bit somehow. And thankfully, he's not like doing presumably, yeah, presumably doing anything problematic. He's just like getting his little fill from here. But why do we need to dirty it up? Why can't we just be content? That's a human condition, man. There always is real problem. It really is. It's bizarre. Bizarre. Good thing we have the WSL. That's true. Um, barrel or nah, leaving a party without saying goodbye. Such barrel. Nobody wants to say goodbye to you at that party. If they're still at the party, that means they're either enjoying the party or, you know, feel that they have to stay at the party. Whatever the case may be, the, what is it? Is it the Irish exit? The, what is Something the, like that. Yeah. Uh, is the biggest barrel. You don't, again, I think I've said this before on the program, don't break up the party flow by announcing that you are removing yourself from that flow, right? Like when you say goodbye, there's never a nice place. People are standing around having a conversation, right? Or they're talking to this person, that person, dancing, doing something. To go stop, have, hey, you stop what you're doing. I'm leaving now. I'm out of here. What is like, all you do is wreck the party. Never, ever, ever say goodbye. Have you ever felt offended by somebody leaving without acknowledging you and saying no. goodbye? No. Me Have neither. You? Me neither. No. Never once. I think I tipped off my cap when I realized they're gone. I kind of do too. I kind of think like smart, like good strategy. However, they slipped out of here without me noticing. Smart. Like honestly and truly, like the only goodbye I need is to realize you're no longer there. I think so too. Let's let's definitely normalize being able to leave without saying goodbye. And you touched on it, but it it makes um it forces a having a niceties kind of conversation. Like somebody comes up and says goodbye to me when they're leaving my party, then I have to be like, oh, put on a smile. Thank you for coming. I don't know what the guy's wife's name is, but oh, and and yeah, and you're for bringing your wife to thanks for bringing you know like it's gonna force some weird awkward interaction we had a good time get out of here we'll see each other later we don't have to say anything you also have to say i feel it always comes up like hey call me later or right. let's text or something where you don't mean it like especially not doesn't have to be a bad friend or somebody you dislike but like i don't like to text just everybody non-stop right it's like right. i'm not a I'm not a com- communicator in that way. I enjoy it from time to time, et cetera, et cetera. But every time if somebody comes out, hey, goodbye. Oh, great. Text me. I don't want, I don't want that. But I, you made me say it. You made me say text me by telling me you're leaving the party. Yep, exactly. All right. Normalize saying, leaving a party without saying goodbye. It should be like so normalized that people shame you for saying goodbye when you leave a party. Just eliminate the word goodbye. Yeah. We don't even need it anymore. Um, all right, barrel or not, face piercings. Ooh, uh, men, women. Yes, I think I, I thought about making it for men only, but I'm okay with making this conversation for both genders, all genders, I, actually. I think we have to have a distinction because I think a cute nose ring on a cute nose on a girl and or a cute lip ring 
on a cute lip of a girl and or a cute eyebrow ring on a cute eyebrow of a girl. It all depends. Like a girl no. can pull it off cutely. I'll, I'll go barrel on girl. And you know, now that I think about it, I guess we don't have to break it. I will extend that to a cute guy. I think we can make a distinction culturally. Like if this is part of your tribe's, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, adornment, then I'm okay with that. I don't think it's part of America, like modern American uh, tribe. Like, I don't think that it should be play any role for men or women for modern we should, America. We should ask the San Clemente Shaman before we, before That's we really point. weigh in. But That's I'm going to say it's barrel. If you can pull it off and only, you know, if you can pull it off, I say for guys, you cannot do more than one, right? You can't have earrings, eyebrow ring, nose ring, anything you get. You can pierce one thing. And if you're not pulling it off, it's really hard. It's really dicey. It's probably not. You probably look like crap. But if you pull it off, barrel. No, this fits exactly what you were saying about saying goodbye is it's an interruption. If I'm encountering a human being and we're having a conversation and I see something glittering in my face, it's a distraction and a disruption. I'm like a seagull. I just but get you, distracted by it. I want to touch it. But there's no there's no compunction for you to say anything about it. It's even awkward for you to say something. So if you notice it, oh, I see this man has a pierced eyebrow and we're talking. If you said, hey. What are you going to say about his pierced eyebrow? You can't say cool piercing. You can't say. Definitely don't say that. <laughs> There's nothing you can say. So, so but, you just, but it makes that's you the problem. No, that's the problem. You There's you have, to, you have to notice it and let it pass through like water. That's the exact problem is I'm noticing and I have so many questions and I'm not allowed to ask any of them. No. Like, why did you do that? What, what does your employer think? What do you know? Like all of these things and I'm not allowed to say anything. So now the last 15 seconds that they were talking, I've not, they did not encounter, like I did not save them in my brain. I have no idea where we're at in the conversation. I'm simply, like I said, like a raccoon, just fully distracted by the shiny object. Mindfulness, David Lee Scales. You have to go into Zazen and be able to, I am the conversation. This piercing is not the conversation. Cool piercing. Do you think there's anybody listening right now who is like, like a full grown adult, really considering getting a face piercing, a dude listening. And he's like, you know, he's planning to go to the mall this weekend and get it. And now he's listening to us and he's reconsidering. And, or like, I am decidedly pro. If you can pull it off, bold move, do it. You're decidedly against. Uh, I would love a caller call in of if a man or woman is listening and deciding to pierce and has decided, or this conversation is, uh, making them lean one way or the other. I'd love to know about it. Absolutely, Colin. Um, <laughs> all right. It's also bizarre to me. Like I know back in the day, um, it's a sign of masculine. Like I went through this much pain to show you my adornment and to prove, you know, to Peacock essentially, like I get all of that. But in modern culture, I'm just like, I don't know why you would put a needle through your nose or your cheeks. How weird is that one? In the cheeks, in your lip, yeah. through your tongue, all these weird places on your face, like just for what? To like look distinct amongst your peers? Bizarre. To make you be a Buddhist. Bizarre to me. Uh, okay. Barrel or not. This one actually came from a listener who made our theme song for Trust in Us, which we will play again next week. Um, so barrel or not. Thanking your partner after sex. Ooh. 
Um, Have you done it? Sure. I know. I mean, you're grateful and you do feel a need. And sometimes, you know, even as the word thank you is coming out that it's inappropriate, but you do feel a need to express gratitude. You just can't find the right words. And sometimes a thank you comes out. I'm going to say it's totally barrel as long as you don't say it every time. Like that time that is like you are so overwhelmed by gratitude that you blurt out thank you. Then that is great. That is a badge of honor right there for your partner. Do you deliver it with a handshake? I mean, you can. Backpack. Yeah. <laughs> Backpack. Hey, roll over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say barrel. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that any honest thing that even though you know you, you shouldn't say it and it just comes out is good. Yeah. Because it's See, real pure honesty. You're truly grateful. I was leading into this conversation. I was going absolutely nah because it's so. Um, Impersonal? impersonal it's too formal like it, it lacks intimacy right but, but but the more i think about it i'm cool with it yeah like i'm cool don't, if, if every time you said it, it'd get weird right then it becomes like pro forma where right. it's that's on right but then it becomes formal but if you just are blurting out your gratitude once in a while that's great uh, yeah i will always try to find more uh, nuanced and appropriate, more intimate kind of way to deliver those feelings in that moment. How? But if I received a thank you, how I think I, I would I feel think, pretty proud of myself. How hyped would you feel? Like, I'd be like, I, I, re- I alleviated her stress. I mean, imagine getting a knee-jerk thank you, like where so overwhelmed was she. Thank you. How good you would feel. Imagine a pleading like, uh, get off the bed, get down on the knees, hands folded, and just thank you. So uh, that was, I owe you gratitude. See? That's what I'm saying. How would this that a, be? This is a full barrel. This is a full barrel. We should normalize thank yous. But go all in. Like a little, yeah. a little kind of polite thank you. That's no barrel. But do the full plead. Yeah. And also call in and let us know how that goes. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Mitch, this is a barrel. I don't know if I should have outed Mitch as being the one who's asking, but Mitch, thank you. Tales from the Cobblestone, by the way, is this podcast. Um, And I uh, don't say it enough, but our listener line number, if you do want to call in for any of these things or anything at all, area code 760. 237-0150. And it's listed on surfsplendorpodcast.com. So you can find it there as well. That's probably where most people find it because I never mention it, but there it is if you want it. All right, Chaz, uh, are you roasting right now? How hot is it there? It's hot. It's raining here, but it's also hot. It's like 85 and raining, but nothing feels, you know, oh, here's my other revelation. I think I wrote about it on beach grid yesterday just to keep blabbering uh but you brought up the heat and so i was so hot yesterday right i had thought about bringing just trunks i didn't think at all about bringing the board middles was looked fun and relatively uncrowded and everybody for some reason fully sucked like i watched so many grown men like my age slightly younger paddle out and suck like and they weren't like kooks they were like surfers who fully sucked. And it's not just because I was watching pro surfing out of one eye. They were awful surfers. 
which was weird. I, I don't know if the level of surfing at San Clemente has gone down or I remember showing up at lowers before and thinking everybody in the water was a pro. I won't even, I, for the vast majority of my life, I wouldn't even paddle out if I felt like my level wasn't up to snuff with the crowd. I was like, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I'm going to stay out of the way. So at least that day, middles crowd generally sucked and it was uncrowded and uppers also, I didn't see anybody ripping. I guess I saw one guy, one guy ripping, but also relatively uncrowded. I was sitting there baking, baking on the sand, watching pro surfing when I should have been surfing. Like, and that was the thing that, that was the thing that stuck with me most. I love surfing, pro surfing, watching it when you're sitting at home, it's rainy, it's cold, there's blown out, whatever. But if you have an opportunity to surf and you're watching surfing and it's that much more stark when you were standing on the beach, watching it, when there's waves, the water was super warm. I literally, and I was just kicking myself saying, why in the world? Cause I didn't bring a board cause I would have had to walk around this dumbass WSL village with a board. Yeah, given the chance to surf or watch surfing, you should always surf. I mean, it's silly. It, the only time you should watch surfing is when you can't surf. Can't surf. And, and it sounds silly to say it out loud, but I think that was maybe the first time that I ever thought, what in the world am I doing? I know, that was a bad choice. Yep. Um, I had a, in college, I took like an athletics class. I, maybe it was like, I don't know, I had to, I don't know, I don't remember, but Interestingly, my teacher was Cordell Miller's uh, father-in-law, surfboard shaper Cordell Miller. Dude was like in his 60s, just freaking shredded. Like I wanted to listen to every bit of advice that guy had for living a healthy life. But somebody brought up football at some point and he, professional football, like viewing the game that weekend or whatever. And he goes, hell no, I'm not watching that. He's like, any sport where like the millions of fans don't even do the sport I have no interest in. It's all a bunch of fat dudes who are hyper passionate about this thing that they don't even do. He's like, screw that. Not interested. Here's the thing though. I was thinking about the exact same thing, except opposite. I'm like, I go to a football game. I don't want to play football. I go to a baseball game. I love baseball, but I don't want to get down there and play. Right. Like the sports that work best, which again, this is what I thought. This was my revelation. This is why surfing will never really work as a sport. Cause you just want right. to do it and not watch it. Or you'd rather do it than watch it. Sports that work are sports that you don't either want to do, can't do, have no interest in doing, love watching. Yeah. Those work by work, you mean as a business. Mass audience. They make right. money. They make this thing called money. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I looked at the lowers cam today just to see we're in the waiting. It's no, it's not particularly good today. Um, but it's not crowded at all. It was like the most uncrowded I've ever seen it somehow. Weird. I know. It was really weird. I thought, I thought, I mean, maybe uppers and middles weren't packed because it was such a hassle to get parking and all that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bizarre. Well, tomorrow it'll be interesting. Check the cams. Tomorrow should be the day. This is the, uh, and not to just linger on here, but uh, I was thinking about it and I will give, WCL has made awful calls all year. Uh, this is the one that I'll give them a break on because nobody really knew how this hurricane was going to affect anything. They did have good surf yesterday, even if somehow it gets more pumping in the window. Like, I guess that it's always can be unfair, but they should, it's finals day and they, they need one day and they have a window. I didn't know why they didn't shut it off when it really started going to crap because it really properly went to crap yesterday. Totally. It was junky. 
it was yeah. junky for the last, I'd say, five heats maybe. And so why did they so, shut it off? Once it once the wind really wrecked it, why did they just shut it off? I don't know. They're committed to running on one day for some reason. I mean, I guess it costs money to get everybody down there and whatever. But... Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, good chatting with you. And um, what else? See you next week, maybe at Album? Definitely. Okay, cool. Have fun on Beach Grid until then. And uh, Hannah actually called back this week. She left a message this week, but I think she had been drinking. At some point, I think she said rosé all day, which (laughs) it sounded like maybe she had been drinking rosé all day, and it was a real uh, scattered call, so I didn't play it. But at any rate, it was good to hear from Hannah again, and we'll go ahead and let her sign us off as usual. Bon voyage.